Good morning, everyone. My name's Paul, as Matt's just said. I'm one of the elders here at Jubilee Church. It's my pleasure and privilege to get to preach this morning with people in the room. This is the first time I've preached in over a year to people's faces, which is very nice, or people's eyes, anyway. So it's good to see you. So we're going to be continuing our series that we've been doing for several months now called Prioritising His Presence. And uh, through this series, really, we've been looking at Jesus's life, Uh, not just what he taught, although including what he taught, but also just how he lived his life. What did he do with his time in order that he might prioritise the presence of God in his life? we've been looking at that and then we've been doing two weeks on each topic really and the second week doing a much more practical uh, week in terms of how do we apply what we see from Jesus's life into our 21st century western context so this week and next week we're going to be looking at the bible together and for me I think the bible is perhaps prioritizing his presence 101 because it is within the bible that we are shown and taught whose presence it is that we're seeking to prioritize. There was a a great theologian and writer called A.W. Tozer and uh, at one point he said, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I think that's true. Well, why is that? Well, it's not just because what comes to our mind when we think about God would mark which religion that we belong to, and it's certainly not so that we might feel clever about ourselves if we've ever read Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology or something like that. It's far deeper than that. What comes to our minds when we think about God, I think doesn't just define who we think God is, I think actually it defines who we are as well at some of the deepest levels. It defines our character and how our character will evolve over time. It defines whether we will grow in our lives to become more loving or more callous, depending on what cards life deals to us. Whether we will grow to be more gentle or harsh, more humble or proud, more forgiving or unforgiving. What we think of when we think about God will come to define some of the deepest things about us. And not just about us, but actually how we view and treat other people as well whether we view other people as important or insignificant, whether we view other people according to the value that we think they are worth or whether they have innate value and worth simply by being, whether people are primarily there to meet and serve our needs or whether we are primarily here to meet and serve their needs. What comes into our minds when we think about God defines big, important things about us. Not just who we are now, but who we will grow to be over time, how our characters will evolve and how we will relate with other people, whether they be loved ones, acquaintances or actually complete strangers. So I think Tozer's right. What comes into our minds when we think about God is a big deal. The problem is, left to our own devices, we cannot know what God is like. And I don't just mean in a neutral way either. Okay, when we learn th- other things, factual things, things like in this world, maybe things in science, we can approach those in a neutral way. So for example, if you didn't know how water molecules hold together, and then someone teaches you, then you'd go, oh great, that's nice, now I know, on I go with the rest of my life. You don't have any preconceived or emotional ideas behind that kind of stuff, you can just learn it and get on with your life. When it comes to learning who God is though, that's not the case. Let's just be real for a moment about where all of us were at before God moved in any of our lives. We were not neutral before God. We were not take him or leave him without any preconceived ideas about who God is. 
we were hostile towards God. The Bible teaches that sin within us caused us in every way to rebel against him constantly. It was our very nature and there was nothing we could do about it. If the truth of God is a river flowing in one direction, then before we're Christians, everything in us is sort of rowing against him upstream, against the current. And we can't help it. Everything in us fights against his truth. When we become a Christian, we need God to begin to turn our boat around and go into his truth. But our temptation, a bit like muscle memory, we've sort of been trained to row in one direction for so long. Our temptation is to turn back and to begin to row against the current again. We need God's help to continually turn us around. To quote the Apostle Paul, we need our minds to be renewed. When you've been trained to think a certain way for a long time, it takes a long time and constant attention to learn to think in a new way. When the boat does get turned around though, even for those beautiful fleeting moments, when you do allow the truth of God to lead you where it will, when you, as it were, allow God to be true in your life, then you find what once was an energy sapping, exhausting struggle rowing against the current now becomes a wonderful, enjoyable, peaceful, relaxing flow. We find we don't have to row so hard anymore. In fact, we can take our hands off the oars and allow the current to take us. And Jesus said something about his yoke being easy and his burden being light, didn't he? To change the image slightly, uh, here on the screen in a moment, it will come a picture of two rivers in India colliding. Okay, this is, apparently this is called a confluence of rivers. One river was flowing in one direction and then another river meets it flowing in a different direction. And in the middle where those two rivers collide, there is turbulence, there's disturbance, there's a churning of the waters. I think this Christian life is a little bit like that. Everything in our fallen nature and everything in the world around us is flowing in one direction and the truth of God is flowing in a completely different direction. And when we become a Christian, it's a bit like we're stuck in that middle bit. There's turbulence, it's disorientating, it's confusing. To be honest, I think it's not just when we first become a Christian. I think lots of this Christian life is a bit like that. It's a bit like, what am I actually believing here? What we need is for God to draw us ever deeper into his river, into his current, into what he says is true. Whatever our lives were like before we became a Christian, even if we were very young when that happened, all our natural intuitions about God were wrong. If ever we were to think about God, we would always make him in our own image. And therefore, we would always make him too small, too stingy, too callous, too indifferent, too uncaring, too uninterested, too irritated, too... You fill in the blanks. Let me ask you, what is God like? What comes into your mind when you think about that? We need retraining. But the good thing is, let me tell you, we are not left on our own to figure out what God is like. He has told us, he has shown us, he has made it his purpose to win us, to convince us every day of our lives of what he is like, that he is who he says he is. And we need him to show us, otherwise we will always think far, far less of him than what he really is. Well, how has he shown us? I think the Bible tells us. In Hebrews, the first few verses of the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, the words will come up on the screen, it says this. 
Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, his son, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. God has shown us what he is like in his son, in Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. That's how he has shown us. But I can hear you saying through your masks in the room and through your screens at home, Paul, I thought you said this was a talk about the Bible. Yeah, you're right. In, um, in John chapter 8, we see a scene, and it is a scene of like these two rivers colliding. Jesus is speaking to a crowd. And this crowd is made up mostly of uh, everyday Jewish people going about their business. And then in the mix are some Pharisees who are kind of looking for some trouble with Jesus. And in this moment, we see like it were these two rivers colliding. There is confusion. There's misunderstanding. There's disturbance as Jesus speaks to them. Jesus is speaking to this crowd about how they're dead in their sin about how he has been sent by the Father and about how they can know the Father for themselves. But it's like Jesus and the crowd are speaking two different languages. It's like there's two completely different conversations going on at the time. The, the, the crowd just have no framework for anything that Jesus is saying. In the river of their worldview, Jesus is just a bloke. He is Joseph the carpenter's son talking a load of nonsense. But in the midst of these two rivers colliding, in the turbulence and in the confusion, it says that some begin to believe. And Jesus speaks to these precious souls who begin to believe. He says this in uh, John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said to them, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, what does Jesus actually mean when he says that? Does he mean, abide in my word, go and read the Bible, and the Bible will set you free? Well, no, that's not really what he means. Not exactly. It sort of depends how you understand and how you approach the Bible. You see, when Jesus says here, the truth will set you free, the truth he's talking about is not a set of ideas or doctrines that you have to go and read and sign your name at the bottom and say, yep, I believe those. No, that's not what he's talking about. The truth is a person and it is this person who sets us free. See, Jesus has been speaking to this crowd about himself, about who he is, about what he has come to do on their behalf and give them as the most amazing gift that could ever be given. Jesus is the truth who sets us free. And so later on in the story, when he says to his disciples, he says, look, I'm going to be leaving soon. I'm going. But when I go, don't worry, I won't leave, leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and he will lead you into all truth. What Jesus means by that is the Holy Spirit will lead you to me. I am the truth, Jesus says. I am the one who will set you free. I am the river of the truth of God. If you want your boat to be turned around, you need to come to me. If you want your minds to be renewed, to understand who God is, you need to come to me. If you want to see and know who God is and what he's like, you need to come to me, Jesus says. Well, how do we come to him? 
Well, first of all, to come to him, I think we need to agree with Jesus that we need him to show us what he's like. We can't figure it out from our, on our own. We need to be told, we need to be shown what he is like. How does he do that? Well, after Jesus was, after he died and he'd been raised back to life, we have a story in Luke 24 where he's walking along a road, a road to a place called Emmaus, and he's walking with two of his disciples. And at this point, this point, they don't know, these disciples, they don't know that they're walking and talking with the risen Jesus. It's a pretty weird story. How did they not know? But they didn't know. They didn't know that they were walking with Jesus. And, uh, and they start talking to him. They just think he's this weirdo. They're like, how have you not know? How do you not know what's been going on around here? Where have you been, man? Have you had your head in the sand? How have, have you not heard of this Jesus? What an ironic question. Have you not heard of Jesus? You know, they've crucified him recently. We thought he was the Messiah. But he can't be because he's dead. And then Jesus speaks to them in Luke chapter 24 and verse 25. It says this. You foolish people, thanks Jesus, always good to be brought low again, isn't it? You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Now what, when Jesus uses the word scriptures there, he means what we now call the Old Testament. Okay, the, the, the Hebrews, the Jewish scriptures, that's what he's talking about. Wasn't it, Jesus carries on, wasn't it clearly predicted in the scriptures that the Messiah, that is talking about himself, would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets. Again, that's just another way of saying all of the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. Jesus took them through all of them, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what's Jesus showing them here? I think he's showing them and us that according to Jesus, the whole Bible is about him and his story. And that's what it's about. Okay, all of the scriptures he went through showing them the things concerning himself. According to Jesus, every page of the Bible is about him and what he has come to do. Abide in my word, Jesus says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to know the truth of God in a person, who can renew your minds and set you free, then you can do nothing better than abide in his word. This is not any ordinary book. And this is not just about reading a book. It's certainly not about ticking some spiritual tick box exercise. The point of reading the Bible is to get to know Jesus. The point of reading the written word is to encounter and get to know the incarnate word. Making space for the Bible in your life is about getting to know the lover of your soul. This is about having your minds renewed by the truth of God in a person. This is about the one, having the one who is truth setting you free, showing you who he is, correcting your wrong views about him, and over and over again surprising you with his mercy, with his grace, with his life-transforming love. It is about having him draw you deeper into truth, therefore drawing you deeper and deeper into himself, into his heart, into his incredible, beautiful grace. This is no ordinary book. This is not words written on a piece of paper. Have you ever read a great novel and got to the end of it and thought, man, I wish those characters were real. 
I wish I could meet them. I wish I could talk to them. I wish I could go for a drink with them. I wish I could have them in my life. This is the only book where that is its true and main purpose. To read this book is to be invited into a real living relationship with the main character, with the hero at the centre of it all. See, we need God to show us who he, who he is. And he has done that in his son, in Jesus. And he has ordered history around showing us who Jesus is. And he has written a book about that story where every page shows us something of who he is, what he is like, and what he has done. If you want to prioritize the presence of God in your life, then this book, this beautiful book, and his Holy Spirit are his gifts to us in order that we might truly know in a living experiential way the one whose presence it is we're seeking to prioritize. You will know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will set you free. The truth is a person and every page of this book breathes out his life into yours. That's why we read the Bible. This is not a, a, an exercise to feel good about yourself when you do it or feel bad about yourself when you don't. This is the gift of God to us that we might know him through it. So that's it this, for this week. This week really I just wanted to win you to the Bible, to win you to why this is good, why this is good, why this is a gift to us, why this is one of the most amazing gifts God has given to us that we might know and encounter him through it. And next week we're going to get much more practical. Next week we're going to look together at some practical ways of going about the lifelong project that is learning, reading, mining this beautiful book in order that we might encounter and know the risen Lord Jesus through it. So I'm just going to pray for us and then I'm going to hand back to Matt. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have made yourself known, that we would not know what God is like without you. But Father, you have made yourself known through your son. Jesus, even in that, when you spoke to that crowd, you're like, if you know me, you know the Father. Thank you, Lord, that we know you because you've made yourself known. And one of the primary ways you've done that is by giving us this beautiful book and giving us your spirit. Lord, I pray that we would grow ever more to be a church who are about the word and about the spirit in order that we might not be able to write on our website that we are some kind of denomination, but that we might know and encounter the risen Lord Jesus. And because we know him, we might make him known as well. In your name, Jesus. Amen.